0: Previously on dry powder.
1: So I would say all of our clients have instituted war rooms by now.
0: Mark Lino, head of Bain's private equity practice in the Netherlands, explained how private equity firms can set up a war room to make rapid fire decisions across the portfolio. But triaging distressed assets is, of course, only half the battle. As we keep stressing to our clients, you have to both act now and plan now.
1: As an owner of the business, you need to make sure that you're not making any decisions or trade offs that cut off future growth for you. And that will separate the strong businesses and the winners in the future versus those that were able to survive, but then not thrive in the new world.
0: Today on the show, Mark and I will take a deeper look at the Plan Now stage. We'll discuss potential rebound scenarios. We'll also look at a few actual rebound scenarios cropping up in certain regions and some sectors, which offer us a glimpse of what life may look like as the curve of COVID-19 cases finally flattens out. I'm Hugh MacArthur, head of Bain's Global Private Equity Practice. And this is Dry Powder. Let's talk a little bit about how demand might recover in different subsectors and in different industries.
1: There are those that in the short term, they're taking a hit. And then there are those that in the short term, they're seeing a spike. And there's archetypes we're seeing, three within each of those categories. So the first one is around there's a hit in the short term, and it does not recover. And here, think about those industries which were already going through disruption. Think of movie theaters. Think of traditional retail stores. The second one is that there's a hit in the short term, but there's a recovery in the long run. Think about quick service restaurants. Demand is hit because people can't physically get to your product. But in the long term, and TBD, what that long term looks like, there is an an underlying need for this product and you will get back to to where you were. The the third hit is that there's a hit in the short run and then you're gonna get a bounce back and and even go ahead uh, of where you were in the longer term. Sometimes people talk about revenge buying, revenge spending, travel and leisure uh, is a good example. Many people will not be able to travel for six to nine months, and already we are seeing some travel agencies booking things out farther in advance so that when it comes back, people will be engaging at this at a higher volume than they did in the past. So those are the short-term hit ones. From a short-term spike perspective, there's one where the demand has spiked, but in the long term, it is going down. Think about things like frozen orange juice or canned food, where in essence this crisis pulled forward some demand, but we would expect them to go back to that longer term downward trend. There's another one, which is a spike in the short term, and then you'll stabilize in the long run. Think about personal health items such as hand sanitizers. Obviously, a huge run up in the near term, but over the long term, we expect that to get back to their normal demand curve. And then the sixth one, is a spike in the short run, and then it will keep overall growth momentum in the longer term. Think about video conferencing, online grocery.
0: So clearly most industries or subsectors are impacted negatively, but there are some that are impacted positively as well, as you noted. For the majority of subsectors or industries that are actually suffering right now, do you see any that show early signs anywhere of
1: bouncing back? Well, and Hugh, it's good to get your thoughts on this one as well, because It is early days still. So it's tough to talk about a a clear winner. That said, there's a couple of areas that we have seen bounce back. We spoke about essential business services earlier. These actually had a a high spike and then came down a little bit. But now as government relief programs are coming uh, into play, many people are, are spending back on these types of services.
0: Completely agree, Mark. And we're seeing some other industries like that where you can utilize appropriate social distancing, and the government has decided that those industries are "quote unquote" safe. So, commercial and residential landscaping is an industry in the United States and other markets that we see bouncing back. You know, people are riding separately in their trucks to sites. They're working outside with social distancing, but those businesses can go on, and they've been put uh, under approvals in recent weeks in in various places. So, there are, I think, subject to new health protocols and new safety. Safety protocols, a number of businesses that we we see that are being creeping back into operational mode. Let's say from from full stop. And I would imagine that as ever increasing health guidelines are developed over time, and we start to see a little bit of a decline in the spread of the virus, that we would see more of that down a uh, down a curve. Exactly. Well said. So as you look to to other places, maybe going to China or parts of Asia that are two to three months into this crisis, uh, a little bit longer than we're seeing in Western Europe and in the United States, are you seeing some of these same recovery curves or, or some of these same challenges take shape over there in the early data?
1: Yes, we have been in constant contact with our colleagues in China as well as rest of Asia. And you said it well, I mean, it's not like anything is going to be the perfect proxy for what's happening in Western Europe or the Americas. Uh, At the same point, you do get a a sense of what people are doing, where consumers are spending. China is probably the most advanced country that's in recovery mode. Um, The rest of the world is still in escalation mode. And what we're seeing, and a lot of this isn't surprising, is the fact that internet, entertainment, tech, healthcare... Those are the industries that are coming back even strongly. From a healthcare perspective, one of the things that we found out that's quite interesting is because of COVID, a number of people just stopped doing basic healthcare routines, going for checkups, going to the dentist, going to the physio. As lockdown measures are being released, there's a bunch of pent up demand for those types of services that people are going to. So, again, one of the things that we're looking for in in Western Europe and in the States, is where are those examples of those pent-up demands where people are going to need to go get those services or get those products because they weren't able to fulfill those needs and requirements when we were in a lockdown state.
0: And are certain things lagging? Are we seeing things like restaurant traffic uh, come back into shape in the way it was pre-COVID crisis in Asia?
1: Well, what's interesting, so we have have a couple of good data points from China on that. And at the heart of COVID, they were down 35, 40, 50 percent and it would vary city by city. It could even be higher than that. Post-COVID, we are seeing they're back at 85%. And so where the lulls were in sort of mid-Feb, and and now here we are sort of end of March, early April, you're seeing that, that hit back to 85%, which to me actually feels faster than we would have expected. Some of that is driven by the fact that lockdown measures have been relieved. And so there are literally more people on the street going for these things. But the other is a number of businesses pivoted to to delivery and pivoted to pickup. And so you're also starting to see the benefit of, you know, when the crisis first hit, people were not equipped to deal with the the impacts uh, of it. But the the react quickly got online pickup, got online delivery, in-store pickup or on-the-street pickup uh, as a way to manage some of this. So that's why we're, we're, we think you're seeing that positive uptick uh, in the food sector in China.
0: So as we look across all of these sectors, Mark, what moves are some of the private equity firms making over in Asia and China that that firms in Western Europe and North America should consider making in the future?
1: Well, I think there's a couple things, Hugh, that we're seeing, one on the new opportunity side and then the other on the portfolio side. For the new opportunities, what we're seeing are funds are taking those demand curves we were talking about earlier and using them as a way to filter through what investment opportunities are uh, and what should deal theses be underneath it they're trying to understand where they should be going quite hard to unearth opportunities and create opportunities versus where they should be avoiding and what's interesting is you know many of our clients have have sector teams now but what we're seeing in Asia is those sector teams are are in essence rebooting to some extent. And they're looking at what the thesis they had in the future that worked for them and the deals that worked for them in the past. And will they still hold true going forward? So people are using this as a little bit of an opportunity to refresh their their underlying assumptions, if you will, that have supported past deals uh, and are using that as a way to understand where to be looking for and where to be hunting in the future.
0: Yes, it seems hard to imagine that some of the new changes in how product is delivered and, frankly, the channels that it's been accessed through are actually going to be rolled back 100%, whether it's uh, grocery stepping more into the delivery business or or other restaurants stepping more into the delivery business, or whether it's things like telemedicine for retail healthcare becoming a bigger channel. It's hard to imagine that that's going to go away 100%, and, and that would behoove, I think, investments on the parts of some of those businesses to make sure that they have the right technology in place in order to access consumers and customers that want to access those products and services in in that way.
1: No, ex- exactly, Hugh. I mean, I think that, that's a nice pivot to this idea of what are they doing on the portfolio company side. And I think you you captured what are they doing from the consumer side quite well. Supply chain, though, is yet another example of people taking this time and saying, okay, what is the supply chain for the future? There's two elements to this that we typically think about is one is what is the risk exposure? of a supply chain and, and what is the resiliency uh, of, of the supply chain and on the risk exposure side, I mean, uh, you know, you can, you could say one upside of this crisis is you've been able to pressure test your supply chain. You've been able to understand what points of weaknesses are there out there. And now the important thing is to make sure you're building that resiliency. in. so thinking through what is most critical supply, how then do I make sure I can guarantee that? in times of duress or dislocation and so in this point what a lot of uh, asian clients are focusing on is indeed developing and retooling the supply chain to make sure their businesses can withstand any future shocks that may come
0: it almost feels like on the supply chain side that the industry and in fact, global corporate business for the last 20 years or so has been playing what I'll call offense, which is lowest imaginable cost and good service levels uh, absent other requirements. And now it feels like from what you're saying on the supply chain side, you need to play defense as well. You need to make sure that you have access to critical inputs to providing your product to customers or else, frankly, you're out of business. Yeah,
1: that's exactly right, Hugh. And you could almost argue that Part of this has also been a long-term trend, right? So the pushback on globalization has has slowly made some people rethink global supply chains, has made people think through, so how do I actually need to get certain things to certain countries? If anything, what COVID did is it sped up that process a little bit. And so now many people are, are basically looking to either repatriate the most critical supply or finding alternatives if indeed they can't get what, what's required outside of their home country. But a lot of this uh, indeed has put a little bit of tailwinds to some of the the anti-globalization that we've been seeing.
0: So, Mark, as we think about all of this, you know, one of the things that I continue to hear uh, as we talk to private equity firms around the world is that uh, they think that they've kind of done the immediate cost cutting measures and they've kind of put all of the liquidity on the balance sheet that they can to take the, the maximum defensive posture for whatever turbulence that they might be facing now and in the future. So what do you say to those firms that say, you know, hey, we we've done all that. We've set up our war room. We've cut our costs, we've pulled on our lines of credit, we're retooling our supply chains, we're putting as much cost savings in the bank as possible, and we're now ready to move on to other things.
1: I mean, what we would say to them is you have a unique opportunity now to start from a clean sheet. And one of the things that we always talk about with our cost team and our performance improvement team is this idea of a zero based redesign and really starting from scratch and saying, okay, In many cases, when you're doing cost cutting, you're dealing with historical investments you've made and historical footprints, et cetera. What you have the opportunity to do now is to basically say, okay, if I'm starting from scratch, how would I do this? If this is indeed where demand for my services are going and what consumer behavior needs, how can I best organize myself for it? And that's where this could be a unique opportunity that many companies haven't been able to take because they always had to deal with a lot of overhang and in effect, COVID gives you an opportunity to to start fresh in some respect.
0: And so if what I hear you saying is, is correct, Mark, you know, you need to understand which one of six different demand archetypes that you're living in and what the future might look like. You need to understand what your supply chain looks like, whether you're a service or a product business, and what that means in terms of making sure that you can continue to deliver your product regardless of the current pandemic or future scenarios that may be just as challenging and you need to make sure that you're ready for the next step in thinking around being the most efficient from a cost structure perspective that you can possibly be in serving customers at the lowest imaginable cost but doing all of that it requires planning now requires planning now not just for the recovery but making investments to take advantage of the capabilities you'll need to maximize your recovery, as well as retooling your own business model for a variety of different potential futures. And and for, if I'm understanding you correctly, that's less about actually predicting and knowing what's going to happen in the future, which, as we all know, is very challenging to do, and more about creating an adaptable, flexible, agile ecosystem. So whatever does occur, you're ready for it and you're able to pivot as an organization to take advantage of new opportunities and to thwart new potential threats.
1: That's very well said. Right now you've got management teams focus on how do I survive? And one of the things that we're talking to our private equity clients about is to think about the plan now elements you just spoke about. There is no playbook in, in this world. Yes, you can have common levers and common things to look at, but you really need to work quite closely with the portfolio company to make sure you're coming up with the right action plan for that portfolio company. So that would be one. And then I think the other one, Hugh, you, you know, these demand archetypes matter a lot. You know, We have the six demand curves and we say it's important to understand where you are because that will then guide your actions. But don't spend a lot of time there. Where you want to spend a lot of time is understanding for your business in particular, <laughs> what are the implications of that and what do you need to go win. Now that I'm here and that's my future, what do I do to outgrow that market?
0: Mark, it's been terrific having you on the show today and getting the benefit of your perspectives and your expertise. Thanks very much for stopping by. It's always a pleasure and look forward to talking again soon. If you'd like to learn more about how you can tailor your firm's strategy to the COVID-19 crisis, email us at drypowder at bain.com.